Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Good morning, everyone. Happy Sunday. Hope you're all doing well. Uh, my name is Blake, and I am one of the pastors here. I'm a pastor of Worship and Alpha, which you heard about in the announcement video. And I have the privilege of speaking and preaching this morning on worship. As you know, we're going through the spiritual disciplines together as a church. And our companion, if, if Scripture is our guide, our companion who's going along with us is Richard Foster, who wrote the book Celebration of Discipline. Uh, and so today we'll be uh, going through worship. But before we do that, uh, go ahead and stand up and greet your neighbor with a high five, hug, handshake. So uh, yeah, good morning. I'm excited to be able to share on worship today. I, I have a question for everybody. And that question is, who in here is a foodie? Who would consider themselves a foodie? I am definitely a foodie. Less people than I expected. Well, if you don't know what a foodie is, just in case, it's somebody who just, first of all, loves food, but doesn't just love any food, loves good food, and to, likes to find new places and new cities to try different things. Um, we're definitely foodies, and we've all had, most likely, two different experiences. First experience is we go, maybe we're traveling, we go to a new town or a new city, maybe we move somewhere, and we're like, let's go find something good to eat. So maybe we hit the main street first because main streets have good things. And we see a restaurant and we're like, oh, that place looks good. It, it's flashy. It looks nice on the outside. We peek our heads in and it's, it looks like the atmosphere is pretty good. And so we give it a try. The service is amazing. The people are on top of it. And we get to the part where, okay, the food comes. It comes quickly. And we're like, oh, this place is going to be so good. And you take your first bite of food and you realize you have just taken a big bite of boring, okay? It is, the food is leaving something to be desired, okay? Who's had that experience where your expectations are up, but they're not met, okay? Well, we've likely all had also the opposite experience where maybe uh, you're walking through town with your family or your friends, and somebody's starting to get a little hangry, and so it's time to get them some food, okay? Or, well, in my, in my case, it's me that usually gets hangry, so it's like, get, give me some food. Um, so you, you're lost in the city, and you turn down this random alley, and you see a place, and you're like, you know what? That'll do. We'll settle for that, okay? It doesn't look fancy on the outside. Not a great location. You go in. The people are, you know, they're not mean, but they're just kind of matter of fact about everything. Food takes a while. And then you get your food and it's life changing. Okay. Who has had that experience before? That's what I'm talking about. It's like, uh, what do we call those? We call it a hole in the wall. But okay. So at the heart of any great restaurant is food. I grew up in a restaurant family. So my parents, uh, they, to, to this day, they still own restaurants in Richmond, Virginia, and that's all they've done their whole lives. And so I was taught to go to a restaurant with a critical eye 
And we as a family would go out on the company credit card and we would spy on these other restaurants, okay? And we'd be like, you know, what do you think they're doing right? What are they doing wrong? And I annoy my wife Ashley a lot still because when we go to restaurants, that's the first thing I do. I'm like, all right, let's take a look at this place. And then I try to predict, is it gonna survive? Is it not gonna survive? But growing up in a restaurant family, we'd always talk about how the food it sounds obvious, but the food's the most important thing. It's like the service, the atmosphere, all of that stuff only matters if the food is good. If the food's no good, then it doesn't matter how good the other stuff is. If the food is good, then those things all of a sudden do matter, and that's how we you know, decide where we wanna eat. At the heart of a great restaurant is great food. At the heart of a worshiper is the Holy Spirit. The true worshiper, true worshipers are inhabited by the spirit who empowers them for true worship. So let's turn to scripture and then we're gonna let scripture speak to us about worship. Uh, We're gonna turn to John chapter four. If you wanna use your Bible or your phone, go for it. It'll be up here on the screen as well. But we're gonna see what the story of the Samaritan woman at the well has to tell us about worship. So I'll start in verse four and we'll read, we'll actually read the whole story. So talking about Jesus, it says, he had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus tired from the long walk sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone, which is something we want to remember at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't even have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think that you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come back here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband for you have had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, You must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship while we Jews know all about him for salvation comes through the Jews. And then here's our main text for this morning. In verse 23, but the time is coming. Indeed, it's now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking 
for those who will worship him in that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, well, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who's called the Christ. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Let's pray real quick. Jesus, would you speak to us through your Holy Spirit? Thank you for your word that you've given us, that you speak through scripture, through your word. Holy Spirit, would you bring things to mind, highlight certain things so that we would hear and that our lives would be changed through your word in Jesus' name, amen. So this, this story that we just read, it's maybe if you've been raised in the church, a, a story that you've heard a lot, and maybe you've heard some of the, the context. I want to give us a little bit of this context so that we know what's happening here. A chapter before John wrote about a man named Nicodemus, and you see a picture of perfection, so to speak. You see a man who is Jewish. He's also in Jewish leadership, religious leadership, and, you know, by all accounts, we would expect him to be the perfect Jew to say yes to Jesus, to have new life, to be born again as Jesus challenges him to do. But at least at this time in Nicodemus's uh, journey, he does not do that. But then we turn the page and we see chapter four, the story that we just read, and we see the exact opposite. We see a woman who is the, the picture of a person who would not be a Jesus follower, who would not respond to the Messiah, who in fact is uh, in the Jews' minds just morally bankrupt. We see so many barriers that Jesus and this woman have, but we see Jesus cross these barriers. What are some of these barriers? Well, uh, ethnicity. Jesus was a Jew. The Jews... Uh, were obviously very ethnocentric. And so Samaritans were Jews and Gentiles, ethnically speaking. They, they weren't pure Jews. And therefore, uh, a Jew in Jesus's day might view a Samaritan as less than. In fact, there had been so much um, ethnic, there, there was such an ethnic divide here that Jews and Samaritans virtually hated one another. We see in scripture, in this story, but in other stories as well in scripture, where the Jews and Samaritans, they didn't want to have anything to do with one another. And normally, they wouldn't even pass through Samaria. Jesus actually did have other options, but it, scripture says he had to go through Samaria. He was on a mission to meet this woman. There were religious barriers. Some of the practices were different between these two groups. We see in this story in particular, the holy sites were different. The temple in Jerusalem, that's where the Jews thought they should worship, and the Samaritans thought otherwise. This led to huge conflict over holy sites and other major religious differences. In our culture, you know, religion and culture are somewhat intertwined, but they don't necessarily have to be. In this culture, they were completely intertwined, so cultural barrier between the two. 
Two of the more obvious ones that we might see right off, right out the gate is the, the gender or the social barrier. So we know that in this time, for a Jewish man to approach a, a woman, and let alone a Samaritan woman, would have been unheard of. And in fact, it would have been seen as highly inappropriate. We, we saw that Jesus was alone. This would have made it even more appropriate because the woman was also alone. So the, the thing that he should have done, so to speak, is not engaged with the woman at all. Okay, so he's crossing a, a major social barrier here. And then lastly, and perhaps the most obvious, is the moral barrier. This person is not following Jewish law, breaking, uh, breaking all of the Jewish law, and would be considered um, not a true Jew, not a God follower. And so he crosses that barrier. So why do we see Jesus cross these barriers? Well, the answer is actually in scripture. Jesus said, this is the type of worshiper that the father seeks, one who is filled with the Holy Spirit, who worships in spirit and in truth. In other words, Jesus is saying to this woman, you are the kind of worshiper the father seeks if you worship in spirit and in truth. For Jesus to approach this woman and to say that is unbelievable. He is saying God is coming after you, wants you to be his worshiper. Okay, so the question for us then becomes, what divides has Jesus crossed to meet you? True worship is initiated by God, as we see here, and it still is today. What divides has Jesus crossed to meet you? There's the obvious one, or maybe, maybe obvious, is that Jesus died and he was buried and he rose again. And he did this out of his love for us. So he crossed that barrier. We just celebrated Christmas not too long ago. God came to humanity in the flesh. I mean, that is a, a barrier and he did it for us. But there might be more specific examples that you can call to mind. What ways or what divides has Jesus crossed to meet you? So if Jesus crosses this big of a, a chasm to reach this woman, then what he has to say to her must be of infinite importance. So we want to know, okay, well, what is he saying to her? Because if he's going to do that, he has something good to say. And I think what he says is true worship is only possible through the spirit. Um, I don't think I've shared this story. Well, I've shared with some of you one-on-one, -on -one, but I'm gonna tell the story of how I met Ashley. Ashley's right here, my wife. And we met uh, when we were, well, how long ago was that? That was like nine or 10 years ago, which is crazy. Um, but yeah, so we met shortly after school. We both uh, went to the same school and met through mutual friends. Our mutual friends were getting married. I knew the groom. She was good friends with the bride. And I found out later that she and the bride were like, you know, trying to do this on purpose. But we were, um, <laughs> we were scheduled to sing together at the wedding. So um, I was, I was going to sing, and then I got a text from the, the couple getting married. Hey, by the way, you're singing with Ashley Schoen, just so you know. And so I was like, my natural response was, who's Ashley Schoen? Because I didn't know her. And I get a, this is what I get back from the bride. 
no response. I just get a photo of Ashley. And it, it was a very carefully selected photo. You could tell that. I was like, okay, we're going we're gonna to try to, I didn't know that at the time, but it was, it was, a, it was a nice photo. And I was, I was like, hmm. So I decided, I was like, maybe I should try to meet this girl a little earlier. So I said, how about we get together to rehearse, you know? So I was like, we can get another, another chance here to, to meet her. So we got together to rehearse and I was working for my dad at the time. And so I realized, I was like, uh-oh, uh, I drive a Prius. This is bad news. So I was like, dad, can I borrow the truck? Cause there's no way I'm, there is no chance I'm going to a first date in a Prius. My dad didn't understand it, but I was like, you, you just got to trust me on this one, okay? So um, I've since gotten rid of that Prius, but uh, I went to the date in a truck, proved to be a great decision. And then we were supposed to rehearse, like we, we grabbed a bite to eat, we were supposed to rehearse after, and we were just going to go out into this little like grassy area, but it started pouring down rain. And so we were like, I was like, uh-oh, what are we going to do? Well, it turns out, she met my dad, my mom, my sister, my whole family. She comes over to my house. She meets them the first time I ever met Ashley. She meets my whole entire family. But it all worked out in the end. Here she is. Um, but I did want to tell you real quick how I proposed. It was Christmas Day, and it was in the evening, and we did the whole gift thing where I was like, you might expect I was going to give her the gift, and it was going to be a ring. And so I give her the gift, and she opens it, and uh, I get down on one knee, and I say, I open up the box, and there's a big, fat nothing in there. <laughs> That's a joke. There was a ring in there, but my point, my point is very simple. A proposal, engagement without a ring, what is that? Now, I will say, of course, you can get engaged without a ring, but the analogy has to break down somewhere. But imagine if I had actually opened that box and there was no ring. Well, a proposal without a ring is like worship without the Holy Spirit. We, we can't have true worship without the Holy Spirit. Let's read this passage again that we're in. I, I want to read it, though, with just Jesus's words uh, put together. So if you only knew the gift God has for you, and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Then he says, you Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. We Jews know all about him for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's now here when true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth. The father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. For God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. I am the Messiah. When true, worshiper, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. We may also say it this way. When true worshipers will worship the Father by way of the spirit of truth. Jesus says the Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way, by way of the spirit of truth. So, so what does that mean to us? What is, what is Jesus saying to her? What is he saying to us? Well, one thing he's saying is that 
the forms become secondary. The forms of worship are secondary. The place that you worship, whether it's the temple in Jerusalem or where the Samaritans worship on Mount Gerizim, comes second to the God who literally fills us with his spirit. So we have many forms. I mean, in, in our country alone, there's many different forms of worship. But those are secondary to worship empowered by the Holy Spirit living within us. He's also saying the Spirit will inspire worship. The Spirit will guide us in our worship. And the Spirit will instruct us in our worship. So if we were to ask ourselves the question, who is the worship leader of the church, the global church? And who's the worship leader of this church? Well, the answer is the Holy Spirit is the worship leader of the church, of this church. And so forms, while they matter, they, they come second. And so practically speaking, how, how does this work? How do forms come second? And what does it mean to worship through the spirit? Well, ultimately, it means giving our entire selves to, over to God. So this, like, this is something that is not, the reason it can be complicated for us to grasp is because it's a living and breathing thing. It's not a rule. It's so much easier to, to, to say, you know, it would be nice if we could just say, we do this, 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 and this, and we've worshiped. But the Holy Spirit is alive, and so we have to listen. We have to be in relationship with God, with the Holy Spirit, to worship. And so it involves time with him. We see that giving ourselves over to God in worship involves our entire lives. It means we give him we give God the permission to speak into our lives, to actually be Lord over our lives, to affect our decisions, even the simple decisions of life. It means that the Holy Spirit is guiding us to become more like Jesus, leading us to share faith with others. Being filled with the Holy Spirit and worship is so much more than Sunday morning, and it's absolutely so much more than singing. It's a beautiful uh, form of worship, but worship is giving ourselves over to God and allowing the Holy Spirit to fill us and, and transform us and guide each action. And so, well, how do we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us? Well, God speaks through scripture. We, we have to spend time. We have to be a people who spend time in scripture so that the Holy Spirit can speak through scripture. God speaks to our minds and to our hearts as we pray. So being a people of prayer is vital God speaks through community. He speaks through other people. He's always been a God who is, is using other people. So we need to be in community. So by faith in Jesus, have we received the Holy Spirit? And are we spending regular time with God, listening to the Holy Spirit? So true worship is initiated by God. True worship is only possible through God. And lastly, true worship responds for God. I have a, a close friend and, and mentor who's a missionary. He and his family are missionaries in Spain. And he tells a story of one of the, the first families they meet. He, he and his wife are sitting across from 
this woman and they've been going through scripture for a while together and they've um, explored, you know, they've dipped their toe in, into who Jesus is and why he came. And so they're reading scripture, reading from the gospels. And she looks across the table at the, the missionary couple and she says, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. Why has no one ever told me this before? We see similarly with the Samaritan woman, she, her gut reaction is to go out and tell others. Richard Foster refers to the, these things as the fruits of worship. The fruits of worship, worship results in obedience, worship results in life change, and worship results in action or missional living. We see in, in our story in verse 42, then they said to the woman, the Samaritan village said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he indeed is the savior of the world. Jesus deserves to be worshiped. And part of our worship is bringing to him other worshipers. So as we, as we close, I wanna put these questions before us one more time. And maybe you're, we may be in different places. And so one question might be for you and, a, and another question might be for somebody else, but we all have this opportunity to respond to God in this moment. So question one, what divides has Jesus crossed to meet you? Question two, by faith in Jesus, have you received the Holy Spirit? And are you spending regular time with God listening to the Holy Spirit? And then last question, has worship, your worship, resulted in response? We see Jesus cross all of these barriers and he says to the Samaritan woman, you are the worshiper that the father desires. Doesn't matter who you are in terms of your ethnicity, your background, your practices, your gender, uh, the list could go on and on. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you are filled with living water of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is saying to us, I believe, you are the worshiper that the Father desires. So let's be filled with the Holy Spirit and let's worship him. So as we respond, we're, the worship team is gonna lead us in a song and just take a moment to reflect on... Um, if one of those questions is what God is speaking to you in this moment and respond in any way you'd like, if whatever posture allows you to engage with God best, whether that's sitting or standing or kneeling, go ahead and do that. But we'll uh, allow the worship team to lead us in one more song.